welcome to another edition of Digging Deeper with Brian Hale. Brought to you by Hale Multimedia, website and mobile app development for over 25 years. That's HaleMultimedia.com. Now listen in and join me online at DiggingDeeper.us. Each week we will cover one gruesome topic that will take us from the life of a child or through the trafficking of a child in our We Must Stop Human Trafficking segment. Each week we will focus on one area. This first week we're focusing on abortion, the right to life, human rights, and that entire issue. So we're going to take a look at some legislation that we thought should be a no-brainer but has ended up on the other end of things legislatively. Let's listen. The Senate again rejected the Born Alive legislation which would require babies who survive an abortion to receive the same level of care as newborns of the exact gestational age. Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska attempted to add the measure to the budget resolution bill on Thursday evening. Democrat Senators Joe Manchin and Bob Casey joined Republicans in the 52-48 vote to advance the bill, but the measure still failed to reach the necessary 60-vote threshold. Democrats for Life tweeted, Appalled that this didn't pass. Thank you, Senator Joe Manchin and Bob Casey, for voting pro-life. There's nothing democratic about denying medical care to newborn survivors of abortion. Protecting newborns ought to be the easiest thing in the world, Sass stated after the vote, as Catholic News Agency had reported. Every baby deserves care, he said. This isn't about abortion, it's about human rights. Chairman of the Senate Pro-Life Caucus, Senator Steve Daines of Montana, tweeted the failure of the vote is chilling. This isn't health care, this is infanticide, he added. Senator Tom Cotton tweeted, Almost every Senate Democrat voted to let children that survive attempted abortions die on the operating table. We must restore a culture of life to our legislature. While the left frequently uses talking points that state that Born Alive Act is not necessary because Congress already passed the 2002 Born Alive Infants Protection Act or because infanticide is already illegal under homicide laws, Patrina Mosley, Family Research Council's Director of Life, Culture, and Women's Advocacy, addressed the issue in February of 2020. Congress did pass the 2002 Born Alive Infants Protection Act, but that was only a definitional change stating that all infants who survive abortion are full persons under the law. It neither required any medical care for infants born alive, nor included a provision for prosecuting anyone who failed to provide such care. Mosley also referred to the murder conviction of Philadelphia abortionist Kermit Gosnell to make another point about homicide law. Under current homicide law, there is a distinction between active and passive killing. Active killing is what happened with Pennsylvania abortionist Kermit Gosnell when he snipped the necks and spines of infants who were, according to him, big enough to walk him to the bus stop. Eyewitnesses who worked with the Texas abortionist Douglas Carpin testified that he regularly killed babies born alive by snipping their spinal cords, fatally injuring them with blows to the soft spot on their heads and twisting their necks. Gosnell was convicted on three counts of murder under Pennsylvania homicide statute, 
that included prosecutions for infanticide. So now it looks like we're stuck in the middle here. We have one bill that states they're a full person, and we have the Democrats voting no to allow them to receive medical care. It's just despicable. Despicable, despicable. Let's listen in to a Catholic reaction. Catholic concern. HHS Secretary nominee Javier Becerra has a history of supporting assisted suicide. The Democrat-controlled House of Representatives passed two bills late last week, which quietly increase abortion funding and pave a way for abortion on demand. Pro-lifers are speaking out both on the Equality Act and the COVID relief bill. The Equality Act amends civil rights laws to forbid pregnancy discrimination, which pro-life groups warn could be construed to become an abortion mandate. If a pregnant woman seeking an abortion claims discrimination if she's denied one. And the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, which also passed the House, does not include pro-life Hyde Amendment protections, meaning funding could go to elective abortions, abortion coverage, and to pro-abortion groups. Both bills now move to the Senate for consideration. Representative Claudia Tenney of New York joins us now from Capitol Hill. Congresswoman, welcome to the show. First, what's your reaction that your Thank Democratic you. colleagues push the Equality Act and COVID relief bill through the House while there are these major pro-life concerns wrapped up in them? Well, obviously, we're very concerned as a pro-life person with a very strong record, not only in Congress, but also as a member of the State Assembly, where we have one of the worst abortion laws in the nation that was passed by our Emmy Award-winning Governor Cuomo and celebrated uh, late-term abortion was something that was enshrined in law in New York. So we were to turn to our federal government and the Hyde Amendment for protections and many other protections that the Republican side is, has uh, championed for life. And now uh, both of these bills are really disastrous in protecting the life of the unborn and our most vulnerable people in our communities. You know, funding Planned Parenthood again as the uh, so-called COVID relief bill does, but then the Equality Act, we do want to make sure that we protect everyone. We want to make sure that no one's discriminated against, including the LGBT community. And But you can do that without discriminating against people for religious protections that are promised them under the First Amendment and guaranteed by our Constitution. Mm -hmm. So I'm very concerned about where these are going. I'm hoping that there's going to be a sane voice in the Senate to stop these because we know once they get to the president's desk, he will sign them into law. And uh, we really just don't want to go a step backward when we've made so much progress over the years. Mm. Pro-life groups are warning that the Equality Act and what it could mean for pro-life conscience rights, that it might pave the way for pro-life doctors to be forced to commit an abortion mm -hmm. if a woman claims pregnancy discrimination. Do you share those concerns? Well, I'm concerned about the entire act. Obviously, that's one of the concerns that could potentially uh, come out of that, the funding of late-term abortion and this push that uh, the Democrats are taking us in, which is really the opposite of where our communities are going now. People are becoming more and more pro-life as the so-called science uh, becomes real, as, as more and more parents are able to access sonograms and realize that, you know, these, these uh, you know, precious souls, you know, need to be protected. And so we're going to continue to fight for life, as I always have. 
And uh, we just have to be watchful. I, I urge everyone to call their senator and, and tell them not to vote for this so-called uh, Pelosi bailout, we're calling it. It's really not COVID relief. Only 9% of the entire $1.9 trillion bill actually deals with COVID relief. It's full of these pro-abortion, pro-funding of Planned Parenthood type provisions that people aren't aware of when it's cast as a, you know, a relief bill, which it's not. Would you support a COVID relief bill that does not have pro-life Hyde Amendment protections? Absolutely not. We must have the Hyde Amendment protections, and that's being uh, actually circumvented by the Democrats in trying to pass this bill that really casts it as something else. Uh, we have to stand for life every, each and every day. It's a fight and a pledge that I've taken, and we need to continue to do that. Again, I urge all of your uh, audience to call their senators and make sure we stop this bill. We've tried to stop it. Uh, in the House, but it has gone forward and is going to head to the Senate, and we do not want this to become law. We need to protect life at all costs. Congresswoman, while I have you, you are a mm -hmm. representative in the state of New York, and your governor, Andrew Cuomo, is facing at least three sexual harassment allegations, mm -hmm. but he's also facing criticism for his 2020 directive in which COVID-positive patients were sent to nursing homes, and there are reports he deliberately concealed data on nursing home deaths you're calling on him to resign and for the Department of Justice to investigate. Why is that important to you? The governor has committed uh, a cover-up that I think is reprehensible. It undermines his ability to lead and to govern. Uh, notwithstanding the, uh, the concerns about the inappropriate behavior of the sexual harassment allegations, like everyone, I'm an attorney, uh, the governor is entitled to due process. Interestingly enough, though, this same governor asked that uh, Justice Kavanaugh be subjected to a lie detector test, and so maybe the governor would submit to that. But when similar allegations, and maybe they were more harsh for former disgraced Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, were revealed, the governor demanded his resignation. So I think it's time for the governor to uh, use his own standard. But the nursing home cover-up in many of the ways the governor has uh, governed over New York uh, in terms of his abuse of power on so many other issues. I served in the state assembly. Those are the main reasons that the governor should resign. 15,000 people, at least, that we know of uh, went to an untimely death due to the policies of the governor, and he tried to cover it up. And that is why the governor needs to resign, uh, um, along with a host of other reasons. I do think he needs to be held accountable, and certainly an investigation should continue uh, when it comes to the sexual harassment claims. But again, he's entitled to do process on those. But we know there's a cover-up. He's basically admitted it when it comes to the nursing home scandal. And even on the vaccine rollout, the governor did such a terrible job and, and intervened with our counties who already had a plan in place that thousands of vaccines had to be thrown out because they were expired. And many seniors who were in peril had to go without vaccines and had to wait before the supplies were replenished. Uh, this guy has failed on so many levels. It's really time for him to go. Uh, with all the, the uh, mounting Democrats even mm -hmm. that are calling for his resignation, he really just is not in a position to govern effectively. We'll That's why I've called for mm -hmm. his resignation. We'll continue to monitor that. Representative Claudia Tenney of New York, thank you. Thank you so much. Joining us now via Skype is Mallory Quigley, Vice President of Communications for the Susan B. Anthony List. Mallory, welcome. First, what's your reaction that the House passed both the Equality Act and the COVID relief bill without pro-life protections, especially because the previous COVID relief bill did have high protections? Yes, Catherine, this is a reflection of the reality that elections have consequences. The previous COVID relief packages 
were uh, were overseen by President Trump and the Trump administration, and we had the threat of the president's veto. He, of course, had promised to veto any legislation, no matter how good, uh, if it weakened any existing pro-life protections, such as the Hyde Amendment. Uh, and we had pro-life leadership in the Senate with Mitch McConnell. So we've, we, uh, without having the White House and without pro-life Mitch McConnell, his leadership in the Senate, these bills, um, we are unable to add them, even if pro-life amendments are added or offered in the Senate, uh, it's unlikely because we've lost the Republican majority there that they would be added to the bill. So mm -hmm. this is, this is uh, you know, a reflection of the time that we're in and the, 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 the election results of 2020. EW Chan News Nightly's White House correspondent Owen Jensen asked White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki if President Joe Biden is concerned that the Equality Act could force doctors to violate their conscience and perform abortions, gender transition surgeries, and sterilizations. Take a listen. What does the president, President Biden, say about those concerns? Uh, the president's been a long supporter of Roe v. Wade. Uh, it has been uh, his consistent belief that should be law, and he will fight to continue to protect that as being law. Mallory, what is your response to that? Yeah. It, while Owen has been doing a fantastic job in the briefing room asking these questions of the administration, it's incredibly frustrating as a fellow Catholic to hear uh, the president continue and the, those around him continue, continue to affirm that he's a longstanding you know, supporter of Roe versus Wade, um, while at the same time trying to claim a mantle of being moderate on this issue. And this, you know, the press secretary has uh, repeatedly pointed to um, the president's Catholic faith as a as an excuse for his um, opposition to the Hyde Amendment. Really, this doesn't make sense. It's it's speaking out of two sides of the mouth, and uh, you know, the the disconnect that is there between uh, the, the the president claiming to be a devout Catholic, but then his legislative priorities and proposals and the, the things that he and his administration are working on really uh, having a very negative impact on mm -hmm. devout Catholics and people of just all faith and conscience who oppose being uh, participating in abortion or those other activities that you mentioned. You alluded to this earlier, but do you think the COVID relief bill and the Equality Act will get stopped in the Senate or amended to include pro-life protections? What can we expect? That's what we are working on right now. Our government affairs team and uh, many uh, leaders of pro-life organizations here in Washington, D.C. are working deep into the night, working with uh, allied legislators and their staff to try and correct some of the pro-abortion expansion. Uh, you know, the, the, the abortion lobbies attempt to use this COVID relief package as a bailout for themselves. I mean, this is just another example of the ways that uh, the the pro-abortion lobby and the, the Democratic Party that supports them have used the pandemic as an excuse to uh, usher in pro-abortion regulations, whether that's expansion of chemical abortion or bailouts for the abortion industry. Mm. So it's going to be a tough fight. Um, and I encourage everyone and ask for people to pray uh, for our teams that are working so uh, around the clock. Mallory, we have less than a minute, but you know, the Equality Act and the American Rescue Plan, it's not popular to speak out against them because of all the positive press and their positive names. But can you quickly underline why it's important the pro-life movement speaks out? 
Yes, it's important just to, to look past the fancy names. Something else like HR1, the so-called For the People Act, what could possibly be there to oppose? Everyone loves equality. It sounds like a great idea. But to really stay educated about what these bills mean, what their impact would be, especially on the pro-life movement, there is a lot of nefarious legislation that's moving forward with uh, you know, really nice names. Mallory Quigley with the Susan B. Anthony List. Thank you. Thanks, Catherine. President Joe Biden's nominee to be the next Health and Human Services Secretary, Javier Becerra, not only has long supported abortion, but he's been an advocate for assisted suicide as well. Becerra, who served as California's attorney general, was praised by assisted suicide advocates when he fought to preserve the state's end-of-life option act. That law permits certain terminally ill adults in the state to request drugs used to end their life. Becerra, a Catholic, defended that law and said it provides some relief to patients, their families, and doctors. We reached out to the Catholic Medical Association for their reaction on Becerra's support for assisted suicide. CMA tells EWTN Pro-Life Weekly in part, quote, if the United States Senate confirms the nomination of Mr. Javier Becerra as Secretary of Health and Human Services, we can reasonably anticipate an unprecedented assault on the sanctity of human life and religious liberty. And this callous indifference to the sanctity of life is not limited to the beginning of life, as California Attorney General Mr. Becerra fought vigorously to defend the state's physician-assisted suicide law, the End of Life Option Act. It is frightening to consider that if confirmed, our next Secretary of Health and Human Services actually believes a physician's prescription for a lethal dose of medication will improve the efficiency of our system of health care and improve the lives of Americans. Okay. Okay, say what? All right. So I had to pause it right there because it's time for us to take a look at something else. Woo-wee! Boy, they're doing all kinds of stuff. Thank you, Miss Andrea, because I realize that what, you're, what you've given me here is another article on some more good research. This one is just as equally as sickening as usual. Thank you for the sickening material. Because, <laughs> yeah, thank you. And you can move that laptop bag and join me in the studio here. Sure. Come on in and... As we wind down the last 15 minutes or 17 minutes of our third segment on child trafficking, which is sub-segment one, abortion and sanctity of life, as we finish off those 17 minutes, uh, we'll be glad to get past this because we have our reading that we do on our fourth segment each week, which is The Purpose Driven Life and... Uh, the book by Pastor Rick Warren, so we're always excited to go into segment four. So Andy's joined me in the studio here, and she's uh, going to be interacting with us as we go through this last few minutes here on the sanctity of life. And so what I have is I have the article pulled up here. This is the article by Tara Sander Lee and David Prentice. A grim reminder that fetal tissue market is still open for business. One consequence of the recent election is likely to be a surge in efforts to justify research using tissue and organs harvested from the bodies of unborn children killed in elective abortions. Gosh, I mean, I know that's what it was, but that just sounded ugly. Yeah, because it is. It's ugly. 
justify research using tissue and organs harvested from the bodies of unborn children killed in elective abortions. I see two words that are wrong there. Children should not be either harvested or killed. No. The Trump administration made major progress in ending this unnecessary and unethical research, but the fight is far from over. A new study in Nature describes how scientists have created a humanized mouse called the human lung-only mouse. So they've got a clone going on. Clones and drones, I guess that's 2021. The article is drawing media attention, ostensibly because the mouse is important for studying the virus that causes COVID-19. Ah, of course that's why this is related. Yeah. It's all about the well, fake you know, virus. Well, you have to have an excuse. A deep dive reveals that lung tissue from at least 12 aborted babies was used for the study. The babies were likely between 16 and 22 weeks of gestation. The word abortion is never used to describe what happened to those unborn children. Interestingly, though, details of the proper care and housing conditions of the mice used in the experiment were diligently noted. Those poor little mice. you got to take care of them. You know, I listened to the lady that was in charge of uh, something. You know, you know, they set them up in Congress and put them on trial, and they've mm -hmm. got these big titles, and they sound worthless. But this lady was saying the same thing. Everything they asked her, she avoided the word abortion. All those words. She was always so careful in making it look so glamorous to go out there and kill an unborn child. A study from two years ago involving some of the same authors reveals the truth. Fetal lung tissue was obtained from advanced bioscience resources in Alameda, California, the same tissue procurement company under the congressional investigation for alleged trafficking of aborted body parts. I imagine that was probably the one busted by Project Veritas, that probably. original mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. harvesting of body, body parts. Baby. Bo baby body parts. You know, it reminds me, everything reminds me of a song, right? Yeah. So, Harvester of Sorrow. Metallica, hmm. Harvester of Sorrow. When I think about harvesting children and body parts and organs, and I just think of sorrow, you yeah. know, Harvester of Sorrow. Uh, once received, the tissue was dissected and two pieces implanted onto the backs of mice to create 78 lung-only mice. Making lung-only mice with fetal tissue is not the same as experiments using fetal cell lines from past abortions. Fetal cell lines can be grown indefinitely and sometimes are used for vaccine production or testing, but even then there are alternatives to fetal cell lines. Are we catching the crossover here? Mm. Uh-huh. So us conspiracy theorists are out there with all these wild ideas that they might have fetal cells in vaccines. Who would have thought of that? We're just a bunch of conspiracy theorists. You know, and then you read an article that just nonchalantly, almost accidentally, just states a fact. Yeah. Fetal cell lines can be grown indefinitely and sometimes are used for vaccine production or testing. It's their words, not mine. You see them on the screen. If you see my mouse moving around, you see, there it is. Lung-only mice are one-and-done experiments, by the way. Hmm. Let's throw us out like a dot matrix printer. Once consumed, the body parts are discarded, and the new parts from more recent abortions necessarily must be purchased to conduct more experiments. So it's, it's not 
sustainable. There must be abortion after abortion after abortion after abortion to keep these experiments going. A recent scientific review tells the horrid tale of fetal tissue research and the tangled web it weaves. Ongoing destruction of human life is required. Ongoing destruction of human life is required to feed this machine. I think it's time to end the machine. How do you end the machine? I don't know. If you make abortion illegal, it'll just become a black market machine. As long as a constant source of funding remains, the supply and demand chain is not broken. Moreover, the lung-only mouse model is flawed and hardly vital for studying COVID-19. Whoops, another one of those sayings, we made it for this and it doesn't work for that. Mice inherently cannot be infected with the coronavirus. <laughs> they don't have CNN or MSNBC. Matter of fact, I don't think they watch the news at all. I don't think they do. Yeah, no. so they're good. Yeah. Aborted baby lung tissue was used so that infection in the mice would occur. Okay, so I just want to reference back real quick to the study that they might be talking about. There was, from, from the time the discovery of the virus, supposedly in January, which we know it was before that, supposedly from January to June, the CDC had admitted, was admitting, I have the paperwork, that shows that they admitted they did not have any live virus in their possession. In fact, nobody does. Why do you say that? Why wouldn't there be a live virus? Everybody who's sick would have a live virus, right? Well, that's not what they were using to create the messenger RNA vaccine. They were using messenger RNA, not a live virus. That's an opposite protocol. One way to create vaccines that we've known for 100 years is you take a small portion of the live virus and you inject it into the human and you let them build the antibodies against it. Unfortunately, scientists think they know better. <laughs> they can create it faster, just more... Because synthesized anything is better for the natural body, right? They created it in a laboratory, and they created it from a genome sequence, or what's called predictive reasoning. They used predictive technologies to predict from, from 37 pairs what the other 30,000 pairs would look like in the actual virus. So then they took this lab-created, fictitious, well, virus or messenger RNA, and they used it and they injected it into five samples of tissue. Three samples were human. Lung, lig liver, and kidney, I believe. One sample was monkey. Monkey cells, kidney cells, I believe. And another one was another animal. I don't know if it was mice or not, but it was another animal, a test animal. Okay. So the results right on the CDC page show that infection was not ever seen in the human tissue or that other animal. It was just the monkey. The only tissue that it actually infected, effectively infected, did its job and infected was monkeys. So they turned around and guess which one they used to then formulate their vaccine? The monkeys. The monkey DNA. So we have a fake vaccine created with monkey DNA. In a computer. 
by a computer, which actually, don't forget, that program they used is available to the public on GitHub. It's a programmer's paradise of free programs. You can go on there on GitHub and find their sequencing programming. And that's one of the few programs they used, they admitted. It's right there in the paper. I'm not joking around. It's CDC. So we're just a few minutes away from finishing up this ugly subject of fake news and COVID-19 virus infections that are getting in our way of being able to live life. So anyway, the experiments must go on. And since the experiments must go on, there must be more human destruction. However, placing the lung tissue on the backs of the mice external to the rest of the body is neither physiologically nor anatomically appropriate as a clinically relevant model. <laughs> so hamsters are one better option. That's why mice didn't work, by the way. So hamsters are one better option. Because they can be directly infected with the virus, well, directly infected with what virus? They're not in that, not in that, not in that trial they did CDC. But anyway, as our geno, as our xenografts using lungs with stillborn infants. Uh, yeah, say that again. Lungs from stillborn infants. Hamsters are one better option because they can be directly infected with the virus using lungs from stillborn infants. I'm not sure if we'll have to ask our friend that runs that foundation. Is it? common for a lady to donate the lungs of their stillborn? I guess if you well, if you sign for tissue donation or I mean a lung organ donation? Most of them I I don't know, but most of the people I know who have had stillborns have you know actually buried them. They they don't yeah. They don't yeah. give them over to science. Right, yeah. So there's an ethical the, the, those issue Those are wanted there. children, of course, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, stillborn. They weren't, these aren't abortions. We're talking stillborn well, here. probably chemical abortions then. Well, that's very possible because a chemical abortion causes stillborn. Yeah. Stillbirth. Other alternatives such as transgenic mice, which can be produced without fetal tissue, are even available commercially. So you see, they got mice to test the stuff on, so they gotta keep the experiments going and they gotta keep the death happening. As an evaluation by the Charlotte Lozier Institute revealed that the National Institutes of Health awarded, that's the NIH by the way, Fauci's foundation, NIH awarded $109 million in taxpayer funds in extramural grants to 135 researchers at 68 different academic organizations in fiscal year 2019 for experiments using fetal organs, eyes, brains, urinary tract tissue, intestines, hearts, gonads, mm -hmm. livers, and thymuses from aborted babies. Okay. So let me let me get this straight. Uh, National Institute of Health, that's a government organization using our tax dollars. Mm -hmm. So they take our tax money and they award it. Yeah. They award it. They, they give say, away our tax money. They give away our tax money, $109 million of it, to 135 Just researchers. Just in one year. Just in one year. Mm -hmm. Thank you. For experiments. $109 million is Oh, I know. That's like know, a toothpick. Yeah, yeah. That's That's not even a... Rat's tail, let alone his bleep. Okay, so 135 researchers split in 109 million. Though, think about that. That's darn near a million apiece. 
Okay? The University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, their name's coming up again, where those lung-only mice studies were done, was the top awardee. The University at North Carolina is very marred in this whole thing. Um, you need to possibly look into that a little deeper with the partnership, the Chinese partnership with mm. the lab. Joe Biden's nominee to head the Department of Health and Human Services, Xavier Becerra, that's the guy they were just talking about in the other video, has vigorously advocated for federal, federally funded fetal tissue research and opposed the Ethics Advisory Board. If pro-life senators fail to vote against his appointment and Becerra gets the job, the board's recommendations would be ignored. Current protections also would be overturned to allow for more barbaric experience using baby body parts. So that's what puts millions of Americans in an agonizing dilemma. Many are horrified to receive a treatment knowing it relied on the ongoing destruction of innocent life. So what can we do? Well, there is a positive because there are several states who are going at the state level to fight this. So, um, Idaho signed something into law. Arkansas and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Arkansas. Uh, tennis, Tennessee is giving the fathers rights in the choosing of abortions or not. Amen to that, finally. Yeah, somebody's looking at that. So, so it's all starting at the state and local level. Mm-hmm. So, again... What's our action plan? Our action plan is to be vocal at your local level and let the voices carry up. Yeah, that's great advice. That's our action plan on basically anything, isn't it? Yeah. Anything that starts with yourself and the people around you, that's local. That's as local as it gets. It starts in the home, actually. That's as local as it gets, yeah. right? That's that's where yeah. it starts. And then from to the next family, like the two other families that we have with us here tonight. And joining us in the studio for this production and for the mask burning outside earlier. So it's great to have that fellowship. And it's great that uh, our, our governor has lifted the mask mandate and uh, made it uh, possible and encouraged uh, other people to just get out and see each other now, finally. So there is some positive news, like you said. And I appreciate that, mm-hmm. that light all the time because we need that. And that does it for another edition of Digging Deeper. Visit our website to catch this podcast and many others anytime. You can also watch our live TV network, browse our on-demand content, read our controversial articles, or sign up if you feel led to join the cause for defending our Constitution. It's all on diggingdeeper.us. We appreciate you listening, and remember, visit diggingdeeper.us to learn more about what we're doing to bring truth to light.